Welcome to episode 147 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Bryn Jackson. This episode, we hung out with Jessica Collier. Uh, she just left her role as the head of content and UX at Stellar. Word person at Stellar. This was a super fun episode. Holy shit. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about her work, about words and content and psychology and behavior and all sorts of interesting things. Before we get into it, we want to thank our two sponsors for this episode. First up, Skirt. 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 Spelled skirt. S-K-U-R-T. Pronounced Skirt is a mobile app that allows you to tap a button, have a card delivered to you wherever you are, and when you're done, they'll come pick it up. Uh, it's an incredibly easy car rental service. They deliver it to you. There's no lines. There's no rental counters. You don't have to worry about gas fill-up fees. And they just raised a ton of money, and they're looking for designers. So they're looking for senior product designers, especially mobile product designers and visual designers, to work directly with their design co-founder and their creative director on like sweeping product and brand changes. So it's going to be a huge generalist position. It's definitely worth checking out though. It's going to be super awesome. It's a startup. It's a chance to have a ton of impact, learn a lot and do incredibly challenging, but rewarding work. Bryn and I have both done the startup thing. I guess you're still, I'm doing on my it. third. You're still doing, the I startup clearly thing. enjoy it. It is a ton of fun and skirt They've raised money, they've got traction, they have users, they have infrastructure, and now you can just come in as a designer and have impact. If you want to learn more about doing that, go to spec.fm slash skirt. Again, that's S-K-U-R-T. Skirt! And if you just want to try the product, you can download the Skirt app and use the promo code DESIGN20. Uh, that'll get you $20 off your first booking. Thank you once again to Skirt. Our second sponsor is Dropbox. So Dropbox is working to make the way we work together much simpler and better and better they're hiring talented designers to bring that mission to life and ever since i started there were like 15 or 16 like file sharing services when they launched but design has always been a, a key differentiator for them they've made syncing easy by removing all the extra steps out of the process and now it's been almost 10 years and they're working to disrupt file syncing going beyond that into the way we work collaborating sharing uh, building products together and they need designers to help them do that. So they're hiring new and experienced product designers as well as design managers and from all over the world to join their talented and growing team. Uh, their design process is super collaborative. They work across a bunch of different disciplines, uh, whether that's research or writing or product design, word people, illustrators. It's everything from problem definition to shipping. So no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you're working on, uh, if you're looking for something new and want to have impact at an amazing place like Dropbox, they're hiring product designers and design managers just like you. If you want to learn more, go to spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll give you a lot more info. Of course, if you're in San Francisco or the Bay Area, they just opened a beautiful new office in Soma with a gym, a coffee shop, a rooftop deck, and you should go check it out and say hi. Again, that's spec.fm slash Dropbox. Thank you once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 147 with Jessica Collier. Um, hi, I'm Jessica Collier. I currently lead, at least for one more day, <laughs> I lead content and design at Stellar.org. Um, and I am first and foremost a word person who works in design. A word person who works in design. <laughs> so for one more day like a week ago <laughs> right? <laughs> when this comes right. out. Right. As in 24 hours from now is my uh, ultimate 
moment at seller.org. How are you going to spend your next 24 hours? Ooh, um, wrapping things up and handing things off. You're not done and doing that yet? <laughs> no. Oh, God. Is it documentation? Have you ever worked at a startup wait, wait, wait. with eight people? Yeah, so, wrap it up the day before your last day. <laughs> so you're Today work- was your last day to wrap it up. <laughs> Tomorrow's <laughs> drinking day. <laughs> today, I, today I spent the entire day writing a retrospective of like where we've come in the last 18 months in terms of sort of how we understand seller and like sort of present ourselves Holy shit. to users. Wow. It's a big writing task. Yeah, I'm not sure why I decided to do that today. (laughs) (laughs) It probably would have been useful to do other more pragmatic things. should have started that a while ago. I left my job about a month ago, and all of my work was documentation. But it sounds like a lot of your work is documentation. So is your wrap-up like documenting the documents? No, I mean, um, a part of my job has been documentation. Um, Like one of the things that we realized pretty well... Possibly not as quickly as we should have realized it, but pretty quickly was that our documentation needed to be extremely accessible um, to people who are working in languages that are not the dominant languages of Silicon Valley. Um, we spent a, like a month taking meetings and doing testing in Nigeria, which is sort of our core focus area at the moment. And we learned that there's a lot of PHP. There's a lot of C sharp. There are a lot of there's a lot of work being done in languages that Silicon Valley engineers don't really work in. So earlier in the year, I sort of I me and my team <laughs> built a sort of the very, royal eye. I see. Yeah, well, <laughs> the royal eye, exactly. Single-handedly, which <laughs> so false. So many, so much effort went into this. Built an early version of our developer portal and our documentation site. Um, Wait, can I pause really quick and we'll come back to this? What is Stellar for someone who doesn't know? This will make a lot more sense. So Stellar is a financial platform that connects banks and payment systems and people. It allows you to send or it allows anyone on the network to send money to anyone else quickly, reliably, and at extremely low cost. Um, It is built on a decentralized distributed database that creates an indelible record of financial transactions, which essentially means that it can do anything, right? It can be used for, for example... Mm, Good constraints. um, I like it. Exactly. So the problem... Or one of the challenges of St- of Stellar is that there are essentially no constraints. You have to invent um, challenges. <laughs> one of the challenges to, is that there are no challenges. You it's just have easy. to invent the sort of like <laughs> you have to invent the constraints that will allow people to use it, even if that means not using it to its like full most powerful capabilities. Um, and two of the really important facts about financial transactions on the Stellar network are that th- one, they resolve in two to five seconds. And two, um, one penny buys you approximately 500,000 transactions. So this is a huge departure from the sort of more traditional siloed financial systems where transactions, especially across geographic boundaries, take days and sometimes even longer than that to resolve um, and cost just an exorbitant amount of money. It's also fundamentally... It has fundamental design differences from something like Bitcoin, which is designed to reward the most computing power, right? So Stellar is designed fundamentally for lower connectivity environments and emerging economies where like CPU is not something that like you can just like amass. Bitcoin is an extremely like significant 
innovation. But the way that I think about like Stellar and all these other sort of like alt currencies um, and alt sort of financial networks that are emerging is that Bitcoin is sort of like the Model T, right? It was like the very first automobile, right? It was the first like alternative form of individual transportation. Um, and what a lot of people are sort of doing now is taking blockchain technology and doing different things with it, right? And sort of Stellar's model on this is to make the network extremely sustainable and to make it interoperable, right? So Stellar actually acts as a, I think, um, Bryn, you said this earlier, as a translation layer. You can you can make transactions between any currencies, whether they're fiat currencies like the dollar or the euro or the peso or alt currencies like Bitcoin or Dogecoin. Um, currencies don't continue to like hold the restrictions that they currently hold on the Stellar network. They're essentially entirely interoperable. That's insane. And so yeah. now going back to one before I interrupted you, you and your team were doing work in Nigeria. Yes. Uh, like what were some of the challenges that you found there? Oh man. Um, I think, well, one of the, one of the things that we realized really quickly was that um We've always kind of gone back and forth on this. Like we had this, our initial sort of launch model was to appeal to the world, right? I and remember. I, think, <laughs> I remember the launch day. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I got to go get my Stellar, <laughs> what were the units? The email and it was Stellars, like, you got yeah. some like amount of them. Yeah, I got some amount. And I was like really excited. I was yeah. like, oh shit, I'm going to be like, rich. I don't really know what this is. <laughs> and so I think one of the, this is the perfect example of, the necessity of constraints. The idea was sort of like the commons for money, right? Like everyone is included. Everyone can access this like cryptocurrency network. And when previously like cryptocurrency has been this incredibly powerful, but also incredibly opaque concept, right? The goal was to make it accessible to everyone. I think the fault of that is that um, we weren't careful about sort of laying out for people the like specific possibilities and examples and to put it very simply use cases for this like giant giant thing and i think over the last 18 months it's been a journey towards like yes it can do all of these crazy things that both that involve both trans like financial transactions and like all kinds of other records Right. But it can also quite simply make remittances and micropayments incredibly fast and incredibly cheap. And maybe we should just start there. Got it. And is that so? Those were the problems that you decided to tackle in Nigeria? Yes. Nigeria is a really fascinating place. And it's sort of on, I think, it's on the cusp of just like virulent change. Right. It's going in in a few years, it will be like it will be unrecognizable than it is today because everything is happening there right now. They have a really robust developer community. They have a culture that's sort of built around like making things happen. And they also rather tragically, but you know, in a tragic way that like is entirely fixable, have this reputation in the world. Um, as an economy that you don't want to interact with, right? So like the whole 419 scammer or scam Nigerian sort Prince of culture, thing. Oh, the Nigerian yeah. Prince thing. Mm -hmm. um, this 
impacts the economy in ways that it's kind of difficult to imagine as an outsider until you're there. We joke about it, but we joke about it all the time and it's like not even remotely funny. Right. So it's um, it like represents the tiniest, tiniest sliver of the population. And yet the entire country is painted with this brush that like is difficult to sort of like wash off that mark. Um, we met this guy who's running like a hosting a web hosting company whose name is Ahmed, who, um, you know, has to set up like five different payment methods for his hosting company because they just sort of like fail into one another, right? Like every single payment method fails um, and then his customers can't pay him. And when he started this hosting company, this friend of his parents who was from India helped him set everything up for it. And when the friend left and went back to India, he was sort of like, okay, I'm going to transfer all of this stuff from like my my parents' friend's name into like my name. And he almost immediately was like shut down on like all of the services that he was using because his name was immediately recognized as being Nigerian. Right. And so the assumption is that like if you're doing something on the internet and you are easily recognizable as being from like a prominent Nigerian tribe or even a marginal Nigerian tribe, if you have a Nigerian name. You could be trying to scam, like, whatever service it is that you're using. So it becomes really difficult to sort of break out of that, like, the insularity that's created there. Um, but they also have a very robust economy, right? So if if the capacity is there to sort of connect that economy to the rest of the world, that's, like, the things that could happen are amazing. Yeah, so how did that inform – so you're a, a word person. Mm-hmm at stellar yes it's like when you found those things out you're a stellar word person (laughs) damn it that was so good thank you (laughs) like did you did you know about any of that these issues and and changes happening in nigeria before you started working there not in nigeria specifically no um we kind of honed in on nigeria over the last over the first sort of like nine to ten months that i was there as like an economy that was sort of rife for um financial change so can you tell me a little bit like you know we kind of joked about it earlier when seller first came out we got this email or whatever like you get these credits or what were they called uh i mean they're they're actual digital coins right they were called they were called sellers when the network launched right right we later launched an upgraded code base and in the pro- in like that launch, we also changed the name of the currency from Stellar's to Lumens because it was too confusing to have Stellar.org, the organization, <laughs> and then Stellar's, Stellar, yeah, the yeah. network or the platform, right. and then Stellar, the currency. It was like the disambiguation was impossible. So how did that evolve? Like then you started to hone in on Nigeria and you learned about these problems. Like how did that evolve the way you communicated the product and communicated what it can do? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So. One of the interesting uh, things <laughs> anytime. One of the interesting things about um about Nigeria is that they have sort of this and a lot of emerging economies have although I think Nigeria is more emerged than many emerging economies, but they have this sort of giant pool of people who are either underbanked or like entirely unbanked. So they have like a very robust existing financial system, right? Large banks that have been around for a long time that operate pretty well. Um, But the sort of, um, I hate using this 
phrase I'm going to use it anyway. The sort of value proposition for... <laughs> Why do you hate that phrase? For... Uh, it just feels so buzzwordy and wrong. And like dirty. And like we've used it so much that I'm not sure that it has any meaning anymore. Um, but I'm Propositioning you with value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the, the sort of benefit of financial technology in Nigeria doesn't have anything to do really in the end with like new financial technology like stealing existing customers from banks or like banks like stealing each other's existing customers like that's not what it's about it's about like taking this pool of like millions of people who have no financial services whatsoever and banking them for the first time and that's where m-pesa is huge right well m-pesa is huge in kenya and kenya that's yeah, what i'm thinking and m-pesa has <laughs> wow brian wow I, brian jesus fuck <laughs> But I, you know, if, if like one of the reasons that um, people are unbanked is that financial services are expensive. Um, they cost a lot of money, even for the banks that. Um, Seems like they can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, I mean, there are all these sort of like switching up, op- and this is getting kind of into the weeds, but there are all these like switching operators in, in different countries that, you know, essentially try to make it so that all these different financial institutions can interact with each other. But as you can imagine, they just charge exorbitant fees for this service. So if you could have a, if you could like tap into a network like Stellar, where 500,000 transactions cost you a penny and foreign exchange is built into the protocol. You... Sounds like a pretty stellar opportunity. <laughs> well, I mean, the really the, the pitch to banks is just that you can bank all of these people who currently have no services whatsoever. You can charge them less than the switching operators are currently charging you now, which means that you can make even more profit than you're currently making and bank more customers, which while means being the an good increase guy. in deposits while being the good guy. But that's what I'm curious and about. And driving is... financial inclusion, which is a stated goal of the government. Right. But the that the pitch itself, like that must have evolved and I imagine oh, yeah. as a word person that's what you're involved in is like how do you You got ta- that in one take, right? How do you ta- <laughs> how do you tell the story of this thing and like make that case in oh, an eloquent so way that explains I the value so props? <laughs> I failed so many times. I mean all all I I think for a product like this that doesn't really have any direct equivalent and is trying to do something that is international and new and innovative and sort of disruptive in the sense that the existing sort of industry that does it in piecemeal ways is is actually scared of it. Um, there's no there's no way that you're going to get that narrative right the first or second or third time or fourth or, or fourth or fifth time <laughs> right and this impacts like every single piece right. of our like user facing presence i think of that as like the the bitcoin continues to struggle with that right oh yeah the totally. story it tells to the public it's seen as an investing tool instead of a i mean a lot a of means to buy and sell and it's, trade. it's a way to invest in magic the gathering exchanges <laughs> yes <laughs> it's magic internet money magic the gathering online exchange <laughs> Uh, That's a Mount Gox reference for those who don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really snarky. 
I'm like we appreciate here, the cryptocurrency that. person. I definitely was. <laughs> I definitely wasn't looking at you at all. She was looking directly into the eyes of the ears of the listeners, uh, staring through the microphone through through all these ears. Uh, I'm like I'm, I'm a cryptocurrency startup person. You don't even need to tell me about Mount Cox. <laughs> no, no, no. Mount Cox. I trusted that you knew. <laughs> What does it mean to be uh, t- for you to be a word person at a at a tech company? <laughs> no, not this one. No, I don't give a shit about Bryn's opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, I worked at Mount Gox, so <laughs> and if, if you didn't know, that's Magic the Gathering online exchange. <laughs> we kind of fucked up. <laughs> it's uh, invested by Army Hammer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to repeat the question? That was a social yes. network joke. Please, Did you get please that? Please repeat okay. the question. <laughs> what does it mean for you to be a word person at a at a tech company and if you want to narrow that into like a financial digital tech cryptocurrency company that sounds really (laughs) so to be to be fair like since since um this is all i've ever done since leaving since leaving academia is to be the sort of word person at various kinds of startups would you say you were an academia nut that one I don't. Even, that one I didn't even get. Ma- macadamia nut. Oh no! Acad- no, that's, no, no. I would not say that ever. Because it's ever, a Brand, bad I would pun. never ever say that to anyone. And I would never respect anyone who says that. That's fair. <laughs> um, but it's been. <laughs> okay, so yeah, being cont- the word person at startups. Um, so I I mentioned earlier to you to you too I think. Um, Why do you say word person? I yeah I say word person because I I think that we haven't yet settled on what exactly this thing is precisely. Um, I have sort of a deep, profound, rooted aversion to. Uh, Deep rooted, profound aversion. A sort of well, if I were going to say that again, I would say deep, profoundly rooted aversion to, but it still works, right? Deep, profound, even stronger, rooted, even stronger. Yeah, aversion to um, the the sort of label content strategy because I think it's this. That means you're a writer who doesn't like do stuff, right? Actually, no. I think that is that <laughs> is trying a, to provoke you. That's a copywriter. Ah, right. A copywriter one. is one. a person who. Does copywriting write stuff, right? They're like somebody hands you something and they're like, "We need some words here and like here and here and here," and you're like, "Okay, I'll I'll write you some words for there and there and there and there," and I won't like ask questions about any of this and I won't be involved in like the interaction design or like often the information architecture. Um, a content strategist, I think, can sometimes in the sort of like OG. <laughs> use of the phrase be somebody who doesn't actually do any writing at all content strategists i sometimes think of them as like the librarians of like the of like the digital slash web age the keepers of the crypt they charge you fees the keepers of the spreadsheets the keepers of they the get sort upset of like... when i return my websites late <laughs> <laughs> yes yes very so these, I think these terms are are a becoming like increasingly outdated, right? Like I think copywriter is something that we inherited from the advertising industry, um, and for people who work on 
products like products are just like only ever iterative there's never a version of a product that you put out where you're like that's the last we're gonna see of that we shipped the ad (laughs) campaign right right we shipped the app campaign (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i also think it comes from like an agency culture Mm -hmm. i have no experience in an agency culture so i feel like a lot of the work that i've done doesn't fit neatly into any of the connotations that are encompassed by either copywriter or content strategist. Um, So I tend to refer to people who are like me um, as word people. Wait, you have like an English PhD, right? Yes. So Dr. Collier. (laughs) I'm just going to let you sit there with that uncomfortably. (laughs) Yes. Is is word people the closest you've come to? Dr. Word people. Dr. Word people. Dr. (laughs) Word doctor. (laughs) Oh. Doctor oh, Word, doctors. no, that's worse. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Doctor Word, like she's a villain. Well, so you have an aversion to content. Well, strategy. I'm going to tell you why I dislike Word Doctor. I dislike Word Doctor because I think Word Doctor probably promotes the notion that you can like build this thing. And like it can have all kinds of problems and ailments and you can like take it to the word doctor and be like, can you use like editorial spackle to like fix all of these problems editorial spackle. that I have like designed into this God, product? What this a is great, a fuck- vivid image. This is some strong. That was really cool. Editorial spackle. Editorial spackle. Is that the first time you've ever said that? No. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll cut it. <laughs> I went back. I went back and was reading some of like what I've written over the last like couple of years, mostly because I was like, I hope I have things to talk about in this. It's podcast. editorial spackle for the verbal drywall. <laughs> like we're like I think word people, content designers, like I'm. I'm also content designers ambivalent about content design because what does that mean? I think that it does it does something similar to what content strategy does, which is to be like take. The like word that's seems like it's powerful and like further up the pay grade and like add it to content. Like in one case, it's strategy in the other sense. In the other case, it's like design. (laughs) And like that will make it sort of like, um, just pay that person more money. It'll do the evangelism for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, the fact that we have, in my opinion, which is, contested by a lot of people i would i would hey, say hey you're a doctor no one else is <laughs> but not a word doctor <laughs> not a word doctor doctor <laughs> word doctor. Um, word comma doctor <laughs> the fact that we live in this sort of like nebulous like foggy dynamic moment i think is actually a huge advantage right so i think the the people who are doing interesting work in this field now have the potential to like to shape it into something that is sort of more um definitive and that's that's really really exciting like what? i remember i read this article by this woman called brenda k laurel from like 1986 that was the most british thing i've ever heard this, this woman called brenda k laurel oh that's that's the academic ticks they haven't all gone away um, <laughs> the academic the academic Queen's ticks. English ticks. Yeah, exactly <laughs> Um, but it was from like 1986. It's called Interfaces Mimesis. And it, it basically argues that Wait, like. Wait, like M-E-M-E-S-I-S? M-I-M-E-S-I-S, Mimesis. I think some people pronounce it as Mimesis. And I. Yeah, I've heard Mimesis. Would like to contest that pronunciation. Oh. <laughs> um, but she she basically says that like designers are like the You'd luxury. you be the nemesis of Mimesis? 
You're just on fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he won't stop. <laughs> word person. He will not stop interrupting you. <laughs> I, think, I think he really wants to be the word person. <laughs> Bryn has named I'm many, sorry, a, many a side project. Anyways. But I think, like, so this is like 1986, right? And this woman is sort of saying designers are like the luxury item sort of in the consumer side of the industry. And this was in a book That's called, fair. like, user-centered design systems. And it was totally fair, right, in 1986. And, like, I think that sort of, the sort of design discipline has professionalized really fiercely in the last few decades. And I feel maybe, like, word people are sort of where design was in like 1986 or 1996 and you don't really know how it's all going to shake out like i think it's been kind of interesting to watch design sort of like like segment into all of these different applications and i think probably the same thing is going to happen for word people there's a lot of rallying around uh the product design title yes there is it's true but that's been an evolution itself right yeah and it is still quite vague and evolving. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say there's a definition of the the necessary skills and outputs that come with that title, right? Definitions right. are silly and hard and interdependent. Mm-hmm. Rod strokes always are, yeah. Yeah, but I think I sympathize with the people who find these kinds of conversations like tedious and fatiguing, right? It's like, why can't we just do the work? Why do we have to like talk about the work all the time and like talk about what we call ourselves and talk about what we do? All right. So that um, has been design details. <laughs> no more. <laughs> I So I'm one of those people who, who like, like really loves the sort of meta conversations around. Nice recovery. <laughs> no, I mean, I do, obviously. Like I talk about it all the time. I write about it all the time. Um, your writing's amazing, by the way. It is. I read your medium pieces today. Oh, thank you. So good. Thanks. Then you have encountered the term editorial spackle. Uh. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> it's like it's like how I used to catch undergraduates when I was teaching who like hadn't read. Oh, so the you book. you'll remember that. Uh, right. That little. Hey, just because I didn't understand it. <laughs> well, this this happens sometimes where we get into these discussions about titles and it's like mm. yada yada yada. Like, who fucking cares what you? Oh call my god, yourself? I totally care. Yeah. So talk talk a little bit about that. Like, I think. The words we use to describe ourselves yes. are important. Mm-hmm. They carry meaning. They are a yeah. signifier of what you bring to the table and what you can do and what you w- like to do. Y'all want to get into a weird conversation about titles? Always. Is that what we're doing? Because I'm into it. No, I mean, I, I actually like, would like to propose a meta conversation around the meta conversation. Proposal seconded. <laughs> proposal seconded. <laughs> Let's go deeper. <laughs> like, I think this process of self-definition and... I possibly like this is I wrote I wrote a little bit about this in the piece for the manual, right? This, that process of self-definition is like one of the great sort of like optimistic pleasures of like of Silicon Valley in the tech industry. And I am not an optimistic person <laughs> at all. Like I'm incredibly like cynical and very, very critical. And I think You're a designer. This is great. <laughs> Anyone I've worked with will tell you that, right? I, I think that like criticism should be presented diplomatically, but I think it's like really, really important to be direct and honest um, and to give like very clear feedback. And f- like for me, one of the things that keeps me here in spite of all my cynicism is the idea that like, what if we take our sort of 
because this this like penchant for self-definition and this penchant for like optimism and this penchant to believe that like we can change the world by imagining it differently all of this goes like directly back to the transcendentalists like i hate to break it to everyone but we are like not like this is not the first iteration of these ideas right what you mean we're We're not all geniuses inventing the future. Right. But that's that is profoundly that to me is a profoundly optimistic thing. So, like, I don't believe in technological solutionism. All right. Puritan. Like technological (laughs) solutionism, I think, is like pretty much bullshit. Right. We can't like you can't like to quote, you know, the, the book title, like you can't save everything by asking people to click here. Well, this is like uh We've had this whole Black Lives Matter conversation lately, yeah. and people tried building an app for it totally. without any context. Totally. Hashtags. Hashtags aren't going to solve our problems. Hashtags are not going to solve our problems. Do you think However, that, yeah, is there a, a caveat? What if we, that? like, take seriously this, like, intellectual prehistory that is the sort of origin point for all of our ideas around, like, how to improve society? Right. And that's this is kind of like I harp on transcendentalism a lot. And some of Can we set the context for transcendentalism for those who don't know. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> <laughs> so transcendentalism was a 19th century, a, a mid 19th century, primarily um, antebellum, which means before the Civil War. Uh, literary. That's what that means. Fuck. <laughs> Brain's learning well, so OK, much so right this now. is like another perfect example of like American sort of myopia like us just sort of like looking in on ourselves and not realizing that I'm far like, it doesn't matter it's fine <laughs> antebellum really just means like before the war in latin but we've sort of co-opted it and when we use it, it like historically we're referring to like the period before the I just, war i just assume it has something to do with Ours. country music <laughs> exactly we call it the civil war instead of like the american civil war the civil war right there's a lot of civil wars but we're totally happy to call it the spanish civil war <laughs> right yeah america America. Um, So it was a literary and cultural movement that was uh, focused primarily in New England, and it sort of built around the idea of the individual, right? It believed that the- Classic New England bullshit. (laughs) Says the guy who works in Silicon Valley, (laughs) where individualism (laughs) is king. Um, I mean, clearly- So we believe that, or we, the transcendentalists. The royal we. The royal we, yeah. The transcendentalists believe that the contemplative individual could sort of tap into a source of intuition that was this kind of universal spirit that flowed through everything and connected all of humanity that was like a better, a sort of greater source of knowledge than experience in the world itself. Startup instituted meditation. Yes. Got it. Exactly. But so this is where we get some of the ideas that like we can act as our own sort of like social and moral authorities. Right. Because when we when we sort of turn inward, we're not turning inward away from the world. We're turning inward towards a universal spirit and we're tapping into like all of humanity. Right. So turning inward is actually like a virtue rather than a flaw. And so this this gives people the like it gave people the onus to sort of act on their own moral and social authority. So like transcendentalism has this like anti-authoritarian reputation because it kind of believed that like individuals were the greatest source of like truth and virtue. Isn't that like the definition of selfish? I think it's the definition of self-centered, but 
like transcendentalism believed in the power and the virtue of the self. And you're saying that that has continued on from that point and that we're living in whatever the evolution of transcendentalism. I think would be Silicon called. Valley is like the most concrete manifestation of 19th century transcendentalism that we've ever seen. And I think it's like the transcendentalists were predictably not great at like new ventures, like all of no. the sort of, yeah, all of the, like they would found these communes. Like there was one called Fruitlands that um, everyone Fruitlands? was required to be, to be vegan and which is not like really that ridiculous, but um, it was, it was sort of run as a farm, but all of these people who came together, like had so many sort of more, important intellectual endeavors to chase than to actually like operate the farm uh-huh. and so the sort of communal living experience experiment like failed pretty they all starved to death more or less so they weren't great at like founding new ventures but i think that what silicon valley has done is to take like if you were to boil transcendentalism down into like five words which are like it's like like any generalization you're introducing like untruth but i still think it's an interesting experiment it would be like think big think for yourself Right. If Silicon Valley is not built on those ideals, then I don't know what it's built on. Personal cynicism, skepticism. No, it's built on no? profound optimism. Interesting. Like, like I have the power to change. See, I, I have the I power see to change like, the world. Question everything. Yes, but that's part of thinking big, right? It's like it's just because you're turning inward and sort of like attempting to tap into the source of intuition does not make you uncritical. I think this is hmm. like a really crucial. Okay. Point. And right, this is why I think that like we should maybe think about taking more seriously our intellectual prehistory because I think our intellectual prehistory was much better at acknowledging the necessity for sort of like deep vibrant criticism than we are. Like our manifestation of it sort of continues to like water that down into like a kind of optimism that can be dangerous. Okay. So let's talk about criticism. This is something that's very interesting to me. Mm. Criticism as optimism. So is, mm-hmm. is that what you were just saying? Totally. And I think this is like any any intellectual or person who like fancies themselves to be somewhat intellectual, I think would agree would like agree with this, right? That the criticism is like a way of being optimistic about like what's possible to produce. So would that that sounds like constructive criticism to me? Is that the kind of sure. associated yeah. term that we use? <laughs> sure, yeah, totally. So what oh, do you think oh, criticism you mean, should yes. be? No, I think that's I think that's a good I think that yeah, that's a good formulation. Yeah, constructive criticism is a way of like taking something and looking at it from with like, the idea that the feedback you give can actually like make it good enough to yes, change the world. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Or just good better. Just better. Right, just better. But it sounds like you're describing the ideal. Is that what you find in practice that people here are optimistic critics? Yes, I, I think people here are profoundly optimistic critics. I don't know that that always shakes out easily in practice. I think that we all sort of try to embody that ethos, right? There are a lot of sort of organizational cultures that are built around this idea of like feedback and iteration and sort of like open criticism. Um, and I think actually applying those things and doing that in practice is really difficult and profoundly stimulating and is part of why I think people who are very good at what they do end up going into leadership because you can like you can sort of like direct that process right and that's very like stimulating Mm -hmm. to watch something like develop because you're capable of like shaping 
the way that like the people who produce it interact with one another. What do you what do you think criticism should be? What is healthy criticism? So healthy criticism is, is specific. It's actionable, right? These are all like obvious answers. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also direct and that's the piece I think that people have a hard time with. Like what? both formulating direct criticism and accepting direct criticism. Okay. So like why are we wasting each other's time? How, well, how do we yeah, how do we work on that? But I don't understand the difference between direct and constructive. I think both can coexist very well, very but, simply. But I think what we're talking about is like what constitutes constructive criticism. Yeah. Right? It's it's specific, it's actionable, and it's direct. Like so often you see people that believe themselves to be critics saying, Oh, this is absolute shit. Like mm-hmm. That's not a thing you should say. Like, this is what is the problem with it. Here's how you could fix it. But like, or this is absolute shit is not specific or actionable. Yeah. It's direct, but it's not like any of the other two It needs things. all three. But I think people confuse them. That's, right? no, that's I think, I think probably true. I think it's a common yeah. misconception that like to yes. be direct, oh, you I have to be an saying. asshole. Yes, oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the because directness might be falsely correlated with, with being the specific and actionable. propensity to be an asshole. Yes. <laughs> No, that's true. And I think um, this is actually, if we want to talk about gender, I've definitely like had experiences in the industry where like my directness is perceived as being overly assertive. And I think I've been pretty lucky to land places that like it's it's a sort of like attribute or practice that's rewarded. But it can it it can definitely be conflated with being an asshole. Can that's you probably share- a selective process for you right like you understand where you're going to be valued oh totally well can you share a little bit about that like how how did you deal with that sort of feedback if if people were confusing your directness with assholeness to a certain extent the onus is on you to make sure that you're not being an asshole (laughs) first things first don't be an asshole first things first like just stop being an asshole (laughs) am i actually being an asshole right um and i think like i i came out of you know doing a Doing a PhD takes a long time. And while you're doing it, you're... What? <laughs> I did it in my spare time. <laughs> it, takes a, it takes a long time. And it also um, gives you this like whole swath of experiences that cultivate traits that maybe are not what people in the rest of the world want to see. Uh, so you're, you're sort of constantly having to defend your work and you're often defending it against people who you are sort of taking the torch from, right? So you're considered to be like the extension or like the next sort of branch in their intellectual genealogy, right? So there's a lot of sort of like anxiety of influence around like academic, like mentorships and relationships. Um, And you are always having to kind of defend the direction that you're taking the work Right. Because you're the only like the idea is that you're supposed to be creating new knowledge, but you're also like shaping a discipline and like moving a field forward. And the kinds of work that you do determines like where that field is going to go. So you're constantly on the defensive and you're having to um, defend your work against like fairly harsh and incredibly direct critique. Simultaneously, you're also often teaching undergraduates and you're teaching them like en masse, right? Like 75 to like 100 like college age students in a classroom who are like churning out papers and churning out arguments. And they're already the worst. (laughs) I think I remember writing somewhere in something like right after I left academia and sort of like 
like published this thing that was like, I'm out. Like that was basically like, it's hard not to look at your students as sort of automated fallacy generators Right? Because they just do the same things wrong over and over and over again. They're like, unspell checked. They're just going to get it wrong. <laughs> but it's like, and it's it's like deeper than that, right? It's like sort of like logical fallacy, like issues, um, and sort of like the ability to like construct arguments. They're they're sort of always taking the same wrong steps, and so you have to like strumming, strumming, yeah. strumming, strumming. You have to like formulate ways of engaging with them to sort of like get them to understand that like you know this argument doesn't work and get them to understand how to sort of like move forward with it without telling them exactly precisely what they should do you know i've been like leading our like content and design efforts at stellar and it is not unlike that <laughs> right because you need you need people to sort of like work through the problems themselves but even that requires like a very specific way of like constructing your criticism so to speak uh so this gets into like a topic that's harder for Britt and i to talk about because it just hasn't been in our experience but you you read these studies and you like all these articles that uh for a woman to be assertive and direct is called one thing and for a man to be assertive and direct is like inspiring and mm. leadership and yeah yeah, yeah. how I, does that manifest like in your experience because you've been in that world for forever right mm -hmm. from academia through right. what sounds like a, a stellar workplace where you get to work it's you know wow fuck <laughs> nice huh <laughs> you were saying really really serious and then you made a joke <laughs> <laughs> i i definitely feel the pressure to be um nurturing which i'm not like i would say that i'm like fundamentally not a nurturing person but i like i believe in like in like working with people on ideas and projects but there's like this sort of female expectation behind the idea of nurture that i sort of um actively like rebel against it's sort like, of messed up though that there's even that pressure less professional fostering more emotional fostering would you say i i think you're ex you're expected to sort of do the emotional labor okay of yeah. um like helping people when they come to you in You're ways to that take are not that on to yourself instead of letting them <laughs> or, or like, you know, help oh, them work fuck. through it when in fact, like the thing that you're sort of there to talk about is the work. And I think there's, there's like a fine line there, right? Because like leading people or managing people is if you take the gender expectation out of it, it should be a nurturing act. You should be sort of like helping them to professionally develop in my experience, that places an expectation on me as someone who is female to um, engage with sort of emotional content in ways that I imagine that men are not expected to engage. Are there ways that you can foresee that when you're picking out a job to like see which kind of teams understand what should actually be expected of you? I've definitely had sort of like... <laughs> those sort of like long extended interactions with organizations that involve like lots of coffee and like lunches and like hanging out with the team where you're like, you're not really interviewing, you're kind of hanging out. And I have definitely had moments where like someone has sort of said to me, and this, this was like a friend sort of relaying feedback, right? She's like, you're just so honest. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bruce. <laughs> it's like, Shit. It's like, oh, my fatal flaw. Right? But I, I have no... Um, Can you be us honest for a minute? Thanks. I think it's entirely possible to find places where that is not going to be expected of you, but you do have to suss it out. At least I have to suss it out because it's not negotiable for me to sort of um, be less honest or less direct. And I think I, I definitely had to do some calibrating when I came out of academia, right? It was like, I was like, okay, this is not how the rest of the world <laughs> articulates criticism of things. You don't take something and just like tear it down and then like set it on fire, <laughs> right? Because that's not productive and it's not collaborative. It's not like collegial. It's not collaborative. And I think one of the reasons that I'm like much happier outside of academia is the sort of like collaborative environment. I really like teams. I'm like fascinated by teams and how they work. But do you think that design are too sensitive i mean i think i think anybody <laughs> design comma designers and i combined that <laughs> nice. fragment to just be design design <laughs> oh so good i think Thank um you. i think anybody has to learn how to take and give criticism and feedback and i think it's not easy and i think we often do a terrible job of modeling it yep and so i think because we do a terrible job of modeling it People don't learn to do it well, don't learn to give criticism well, and they, they rarely learn to take criticism gracefully or productively. But that's not, I think, the fault of like designers. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. I think it's the fact that we have, we don't have as many people as we need who have like a good grasp on, on like constructive criticism. How did you learn to take? criticism well and i can only assume you do because uh the way you talk about this i mean i think i do i i'm sure there are you're moments a doctor, you've got a good bedside manner right we can actually do a quick experiment <laughs> words, i can words, criticize you right now wordside <laughs> manner it. i i i tell i tell people sometimes i'm like i there's like never going to be any critique as scary as the one that i stood through for my like my doctoral qualifying exams, like my orals, like there's just never going to be a moment when like I feel less authoritative and I have less power and I feel like I have um, less of a reason to be like speaking. You've been to the lowest low. Been to the lowest point. It's all like, it's all, it's uphill from Is here. that what it takes? I mean, that's impossible, right? Like, so I hope not. For other people's sake. I mean, I've definitely had moments at, you know, the different organizations that I've worked at where, like, I'm like, this is not my, like, method of giving criticism is not going well. This person is, like, not taking it well. And I need to kind of, like, step back and think about how um, I can, how we can, like, together come to a process that was going to be productive. But do you find that? That's always going to be the case is that it's totally. every single relationship requires a different line on the spectrum of receiving criticism well and giving criticism well. And mm -hmm. it moves between that spectrum of, of the two people. God, I hope not. That's if not that, scalable. That metaphor makes sense. It's not scalable. <laughs> it's so right? not like, scalable. And I think that's why like uh, as designers, we think about certainly on the giving feedback side, right? Like there's the three things. Is it uh, actionable? Is it direct? And mm -hmm. is it, shit, I'm forgetting the third. 
direct uh, actionable and uh specific specific thank you but on the receiving side it seems like the receiving side is much more nuanced and much more emotionally charged like how do you take criticism and you know we could even go full circle and say like the way we define ourselves like the way you receive criticism i could imagine also mm. is a Results of your upbringing and the way that your parents treated you as a kid and like all this kind of thing on and on and on. I think a lot of it is practice like anything else. And I also remember um, you all had uh, Heather Phillips on your show. Yes. Not that long ago, whom I love and think is amazing. Mm -hmm. And she told this story about uh, like when she was doing a, like her thesis at RISD, like, like she was like, what if I just take everyone's feedback uh -huh. and implement it uh -huh. literally? And I, I do think that there's something about that kind of exercise of like, what if you just entirely open yourself up to the universe and react like, as neutrally as possible to what comes in, right? What if the emphasis is on the thing that you're producing rather than on how it makes you feel? Incredibly hard to do. Yeah, it's incredibly hard to do. Do you think that that would result in better things being built? Yes. Okay. And I do think it's possible to it's possible to train yourself to like not only like open yourself up to criticism, but to sort of like welcome it. Like at this point, I basically understand that every every time I do something for the first time, it's going to be like total shit. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. And I mean, we all understand that's the this, point right? of the first time. Yeah. But design is only ever iteration. Like it's nothing else. And so when you become comfortable with that process, it's like becoming comfortable with the process of like inspiration returning, like you can become totally depleted with a project. You're like, I'm so tired. I'm never doing anything ever again. And then like, like I, you know, four or five days later, you wake up and you're like, I have this idea. But is that like, I want to do this thing. Is that inspiration? Like that feels like puzzle solving to me. Like when you finally, like you look at this impossible jumble and you finally figure it out, that feels like problem solving, but it's like latent. But it's exactly it's latent. It's, I think it's like having like building up the muscles and having God, this is going to sound weird. Having faith like you build up like sort of like the muscles in your brain so that you get to a point where you know that even if you can't solve this thing right now, your brain is going to sort of like work on it subconsciously like while you're doing other things and you'll come back to it like refreshed and potentially with like. A like a solution. It's, uh, I really I, like the back burner metaphor. What's I that? put things on the back burner all the time. Like, you put don't you guys the, do this? When you put oh, something yeah. on the back burner without a lid, yeah. what yeah. it does is condense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you finally get to like the, the core of the thing. Yeah. You get the most flavor at the point right before it burns up. Well, right. I was thinking of like- But it's hard to do that until you have faith in yourself that like that's what's going to happen when you leave it yeah. alone. It's for a while. And that it won't burn up. And that it won't burn up. <laughs> it's yeah. resiliency, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's understanding that- I don't know. I think about this anytime I start a new project is you're looking at the blank canvas. Yes. Like, oh my God. There's no fucking way this will be mm -hmm. good. This It's going to be terrible. All my, all my ideas are out there. It's all all my insights shipped, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But what are you looking at the blank canvas for? You work at Facebook. You have a style guide. No, I don't. Dude, I don't follow that shit. <laughs> Can I say that? It's a figment <laughs> of your imagination. Uh, but, but I mean, this but then, is the thing then that you gets start. You... Then, then I feel like you just move one pixel write one word yeah exactly and, and the like the snowball takes off whatever metaphor you want and this is the thing like there's i don't think there's any such thing as after at a certain point like there's at a certain point there's no such thing as like writer's block or designer's block right Ooh, you just contentious start with the shitty first thing because you yeah. know it's going to suck like there's no reason 
There's no reason to just sit there. Like you may as well start. It's the first draft is going to be shitty. You'll get through it. Yeah. And I think that's why I don't know if, if I, I maybe subscribe to this, like the 100 day UI challenge or, mm-hmm. or for, from the writer's perspective, mm-hmm. it's like uh, write 750 words per day, mm-hmm. no matter what. Doesn't matter how shitty the words are, but you just do it. And the idea being that it's like you unblock yourself by just creating one iota of momentum. I mean, that's how I that's how I approach all work. I don't know how anybody gets anything done otherwise. Small problems. Does anyone really get anything done? No, because we ship it and then we're like, (laughs) then we redo mm, it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's called iteration, right? (laughs) We've been talking about this, and all this is iteration. All it is. All it ever is. But that's that again is like a it ridiculous, is short for iteration. That again is a ridiculous privilege, right? We're just like we never need to like. We got we, more time, yo. We got more time, but we also just never need to live in this like static world where like everything is set in stone, and we can never sort of like take that idea and evolve it. Like that's such it's such a privilege to have that ongoing conversation with your work. We just need content strategists so we can send it out one time. But we can't call it that, Bryn. But (laughs) speaking of that, your last day is tomorrow. When this episode comes out, your last day will have been four days ago. Friday. What are you you doing right now? One week from today. um, I'm going to go to Tahoe for a couple days. Nice. Ride my bike. Cool. Um, It's pretty chill. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting some like consulting projects and I have some things in the works that I'm not totally ready to talk about specifically yet but I think there's some really interesting things that I would like to work on can you give us a a hint I think this is going to be an interesting couple of years for word people Mm, quite yes Uh, it's a good time to like uh, be a part of the evolution of whatever the title is you want it to be well there's there's that but there's also I think like you know, we've like worked, not worked through it, but we've we've been dealing with like GUIs, like graphical user interfaces for a good number of years now. And, you know, we're now sort of starting to talk about like what happens if like the the interface is all text. Or voice. Or voice, right? These are like very like interesting problems. And I think there's going to be like a lot of crap that comes out in the next few years <laughs> like we're gonna, we're gonna have some like really terrible bots and like terrible like voice uis and they're gonna be really shitty and they make real bad poop words <laughs> we're gonna look back on them the way that we look back on just like ridiculous technology like in back to the future it's gonna be amazing clippy, but- clippy. <laughs> yeah yeah clippy yeah just but, real I mean- bad poop words what happens when like you go to design like an entirely new experience and the thing that you just you just open up a text document? What is that even going to look like? What's a text document? <laughs> you mean sketch? Does that exist in 3D? <laughs> I live I live you, in the vibe now. Can you do that in VR? But yeah. I think that's I you know like if I'm reading between the lines here I think of Siri and Alexa is mm-hmm. like What's the story that is told about what Siri is and the relationship mm. you're supposed to have with Siri and the relationship you want to have with Siri? Like, how does that relate to people who can't use that? Right. Like, yeah, voice based totally. interfaces only work for people who can hear well. Yep. Yeah. But that's all designed, right? Like, the story that we tell people about 
how how we'll interact with But it's also just like UI. how those products evolve, right? Like I, I'm not sure that we actually that like the best way to sort of iterate on these like early sort of like voice UIs is to try to make them more and more and more human. Right. Like that seems to be like something that we've we just assume. And I think that that assumption is maybe like bears some reflection. You just put a human on your kitchen counter and say, hey, play the news. (laughs) Play my Spotify playlist. Do you think that's a just have uh, a phone? (laughs) A result of the the transcendentalists is that like the human is Mm. like almost the global, the transcendental transcendentalist is like. The, the royal transcendentalist. The human. The human is. If we look inward on the human yeah. form, it's the superior. Well, I mean, it's definitely like <laughs> transcend- transcendentalism is definitely like an early version of like the singularity, right? right They're right, basically right. like well, the human is divine. Exactly. Yeah. So, like the human is divine, but now we're saying. But like, wait, the, the singularity form. Oh yeah. So that's then not, there's robot humans. Right, but but what he's saying though is like, how do you sort of like take these prototypes, these robotic prototypes of humanity? Like, we're probably making them more and more human because we believe that, like, becoming more and more human is becoming more and more perfect. Or that <laughs> we, it is. Or we want. We are perfect. Or we want humans <laughs> to move in that direction. And therefore, like, humans and computers moving toward each other. Is, is it a good an thing. aspiration? It, yeah. Is it an aspiration that we're trying to make? It's easier to move computers towards humans right now, right? Yes, like, it, it's, it's hard true. to move humans towards computers. Like, but maybe that's a false, I want to be a robot maybe, so like, bad. Maybe that's a false dichotomy. Right? <laughs> but it, it depends on how we like classify human. Like I think we tend to classify the idea of making something more and more human is the idea of making it more and more like conversational and casual and colloquial and like mm. sassy mm-hmm. and witty. <laughs> right? That sassy and, robot no, really got me. It's like maybe, slack, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like the default to sort of like irony and wit and sass is like not scalable and it's not accessible. And I think we're going to like come up like really like come up against these restrictions in the next couple of years. We're going to have to ask ourselves like whether we want like converse like colloquial conversation with bots or whether we want like Fuck yeah. functional I joke precision. Around with my bot you know? friends, my bodies, <laughs> my bot buddies. I like bodies. <laughs> So, but one of the things that I that I will say because um, I'm gonna go like work on some other things and I'm like really excited about what they're going to end up being. But I do like Stellar.org's mission is something that I believe in like very, very, very profoundly. Um, financial inclusion is one of those uh, like human rights that like unlocks all of these other opportunities. You should be allowed to money. No, seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Like if you, I mean, if it, if you like work in a different place and your family lives and you need to send money home, it shouldn't take five days to get that money home and it shouldn't cost you a quarter of what you earned. Right. And if you're like a person trying to like make a 50 cent payment for on-demand solar power so that your kids can have light to finish their homework, but that like making that small payment costs you 25 cents in fees and you can't afford like a 50% fee on the amount you're trying to pay. Like there's just not going to be abundant opportunities for you to improve your life. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you still want to be involved in that space in some way. Yeah, I think financial technology is, um, I, I also think that it's 
not unlike bots, we're going to see a lot of like, I mean, we, ha- and we have, but we're going to see a lot of like shitty solutions. Um, uh, dough bots. What's the, uh, what's the one, the one where you chat with your bank? Uh, oh God. Digit. 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 That's the one. I mean, digit is actually, digit is interesting. Digit is passive savings. Right. I'm yeah. way better at saving without a bot. <laughs> I just want to say that. Like I used digit at first and I was like, wait, I'm better at this. Mm. Like, because I can do it deliberately. Yeah, like, I can be yeah. like, hey, I'm putting this, like, large chunk of money away instead of this, like, tiny chunk of money. Right, right. But yeah. you see room for that sort of, is is conversational fintech, like, is that where we're going? <laughs> that, I, think, I think we have so many. That was so the many... most buzzwords we've ever fit into, like, two seconds. That's why have, I'm here. <laughs> we have so many problems to solve with fintech before we ever get to. The bots. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the bots or the singularity. Siri, <laughs> the singularity. Save me some money. <laughs> I mean, we have such basic problems to solve, and most of those problems involve around trying to get like money from point A to point B. Right. Like, what if there is no point A because it's all in the singularity, and, and then the, the points are on top of each other because singularity. Yeah. <laughs> We've gone too deep. Yeah, we, we went too deep. Um, how could people follow along with what you're going to do next? Um. I do a lot of writing online. Um, you can find a lot of my stuff on Medium. I also wrote a piece recently for the manual. Uh, Which was so good, thanks. by the way. So good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I definitely use the term narrative UX in it, which yes, I think <laughs> is just, and I would like to say like here and now that like- I apologize. <laughs> con- no, content design, content strategy, like narrative user experience. Like I think all of these like phrases and words that we're experimenting with are just part of this like much larger Mm. conversation and we need to sort of react like associatively to them right so like this is a perfect example of giving constructive criticism right so um i think reacting like with association is sort of a way of being like that like this concept or this idea like triggered for me this other idea and that's how you move the conversation forward. Oh, I don't think any of us called. have the right, I don't think any of us, I don't think anybody has stumbled on the right concept exactly yet, but I do think the conversation is like vibrant and really interesting oh, and dynamic. Fuck. That's really an insightful way to think about it. Constructive like It's not criticism. about being right or wrong. It's just about like contributing to like contributing. cycles of the conversation. I always wondered, like, how to explain that. That helps. Sorry for the joke in the middle. It's okay. I like your jokes. <laughs> oh, do not, do not encourage him. Encourage this. <laughs> She's a doctor. Awful She's behavior. She's a doctor. Awful behavior. Uh, we are well, over time. Sorry. Thanks for uh, talking it, with like me about transcendentalism. You Thank and... you for teaching us about <laughs> transcendentalism. Yeah. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, what do I want to plug? Um, go read my manual piece. Tell me what you think. Cool. I would love to hear about it. Sweet. Yeah. Done. Link in the show notes. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Appreciate it so pleasure. much. It was really fun talking to you guys. That was episode 147. Thank you to Jessica for coming and hanging out. Thank you to you for listening. That was so fun. 
if you have feedback for us, hit us up. We're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM. Join our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. And if you are feeling kind-hearted and loving what you're hearing, uh, an iTunes review means a lot to us. It helps new people discover the show on iTunes. Uh, and of course, we read all of those reviews and the feedback helps make the show better. Uh, so again, iTunes review if you're feeling up for it. Otherwise, we'll uh, catch you next week. But before we go, we want to thank our two sponsors for making this episode possible. First up, Dropbox. So Dropbox is currently working to simplify the way people work together beyond file syncing. They're going to keep killing it on file syncing. They're working on bringing more of the stuff they do to the forefront, which means a lot of cool tools for people. These are tools that people will touch every single day. They have millions and millions of users. They need product designers of all levels as well as design managers. You should go check them out at spec.fm slash Dropbox. Or if San Francisco isn't for you and you want to do the startup thing, our second sponsor, Skirt. Skirt's in LA. S-K-U-R-T is a mobile app that is an incredibly simple way to tap a button and have a card delivered to you. They've just raised a ton of money and they want to hire designers to bring their vision to the rest of the world. They're looking for senior mobile product and visual designers to work directly with one of their design co-founders and the creative director. Uh, They want you to join and you can have a ton of impact. It's a startup, so it's going to be a lot of challenging work but as Bryn and I know it is incredibly rewarding and a ton of fun if that sounds interesting to you at all uh, go to spec.fm slash skirt that's s-k-u-r-t that'll tell you more about the job but if you just want to try the service uh, download the app and use the promo code design20 and that'll save you 20 bucks the first time you reserve a car thank you to both of our sponsors for supporting us we'll see you next week